Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by these great companies that are giving us money to let you listen to their stuff. Bullshit, Kyle. We make this show. We make this show. You and me. Tubals in a China Shop is brought to you by us. <laughs> Someone's got to pay the bills, Dan, because it's not our trading. <laughs> <laughs> All right, roll them. You are listening to an entertainment program put together by a company called Financial Ineptitude. Anything said on this show is not an endorsement or professional advice. Would you really want to tell a court of law you were suing us because you thought taking financial advice from two idiots on a podcast put out by Financial Ineptitude was a good idea? Really? Clown hats on your face. Well, hello and welcome, everyone. Step into the China shop. We've got another amazing uh, interview episode lined up for you. But uh, first, as always, I'm Shopkeeper Dan. With me is Kyle, creator of FinancialNeptitude.com. How are you doing today, Kyle? I'm doing good. I'm starting to feel like a real journalist or something, right? Like a, yeah, a legit media personality, for sure. (laughs) Yeah, getting getting accredited authors and... Yes. (laughs) Like people reaching out to us. It's amazing. Yes. Did you want me to introduce our guest or did you want to do it? Uh, Go ahead. All right. Today, folks, we are so thrilled to have James Falk, author of Financial Cold War. Financial Cold War. (laughs) I have not gotten a chance to read it, but we were, Kyle and I, rifling through it today, uh, talking about the different parts we were seeing. Uh, How are you doing today, James? Thank you for joining us. Well, thank you for uh, inviting me onto the show. Uh, I'm doing great. Thank you. So you're based in Hong Kong, I think you said? Yes, that's right. So I do have to ask, because it seems like some of the the material in the book, as I was looking through it, uh, it's kind of critical to China. Are you concerned about uh, putting this into print? Like, is that something you have to worry about? No, not at all. I mean, it's it's critical, I hope. Uh, constructively so. And uh, it's at least as critical of other parties as well as China. That is true. The main thing that that I was looking to do with the book is really to try and explain some of the sources of tension between China and America rather than to take a particular position or side on it. Why don't you give us a little bit of an overview of, of the setup for, for how we found ourselves entering into a financial cold war? Look, uh, the, the financial cold war, is, as I define it in the book, is probably a bit different to the way a lot of people think about it. When, when you say financial cold war, people are thinking about trade wars, sanctions, etc. What, what the financial cold war is, as I define it, is really the, the the fundamental conflict embedded in the structure of the global financial system and national financial policies over the distribution of wealth and income. Mm-hmm. And the, the central theme of the book is really that, that the structure of the system is driving higher levels of inequality, which are spilling over into greater social tensions between China and America spilled into what I call a geoeconomic war, which is the sanctions, is the, the trade war, etc. But it, what, what it is really is looking at the imbalances in the system and, and the, the bad incentives and the things that need to be repaired with the system in order to de-escalate tensions. Is there, I mean... 
China has obviously got a different system of government than the U.S. does, and I'm assuming their markets do operate differently. But it is interesting to see that they have kind of the same economic disparities or discrepancies that are starting to emerge in the U.S. Uh, So what exactly are those differences? Like, how does China's financial markets operate compared to the U.S.'s? China China's come from a very different place. I mean, when they started uh, reform and opening up under Deng Xiaoping in the late seventies, China was dirt poor. They didn't have financial mm. markets. They've been closed down for, for decades. And the, the country, as it engaged in the infrastructure upgrading, the development of the economy, that they had to create financial markets. But what what they created was very much a controlled system that the controls reflected several things part of it was an inherent an inherent uh distrust of capitalism and and financial markets Mm. after all the leadership is still nominally a communist party but but also it the, the controls of the financial system really reflected a lot of the difficulties that they had when they were building their financial markets and some of the pressures that, that they were under at the time. Mm-hmm. Starting from, from scratch, basically, like you said, and doing it so quickly, have there been growing pains just associated with that in general? Because it's kind of hard to throw a whole system together in you know, the course of a couple of decades. There, there were a huge number of growing pains, and and you know, by by and large, if you look at it objectively, the, the Chinese Communist Party has done a remarkable job developing both the economy, the infrastructure, and delivering a, a moderate level of prosperity for most of the population in a record period of time. Mm-hmm. But uh, inevitably, you know, as they as they ran through that, it created a whole load of imbalances. Um, you know, some of those are reflected in financial markets. Some of those are reflected in growing wealth disparities. What one of the things that's most focused on is the, the environmental consequences of China's development model. Yeah, we noticed uh, within the last couple of years that they're actually selling canned air. <laughs> People in China were purchasing. Like, uh, what was that movie, Spaceballs? <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> I hadn't seen that. But, uh, no. yeah, yeah, I mean, the, the environmental damage of, of industrialization in China has been, been huge. And just frankly, because the population is so big that the, the level of impact has been unprecedented. As far as the population goes, though, China has got some pretty strict uh, um, laws regarding, like, how many children you can have. Is that something that... Uh, I mean, it, I would think that that would create kind of like a, a population bubble as like the elderly, like you have a big boom in one generation as they start to, to I don't I'm trying to think of a, a polite way to say die. <laughs> as they, <laughs> well, as the, that generation moves on. Like, uh, I, well, actually, Carl, that, that's, that's, uh, that's uh, I, I think the, the, the point that you make is, is good. In fact, just, just to clear up if there's a misunderstanding. China no longer has a one-child policy. And in fact... That's right. I do remember seeing that, yes. The, the government really does want people to have more babies. <laughs> but um, I, the, the, yes, I, you, you hit the nail on the head. And it's actually one of the things that is talked about in my book, which is that you know, China has had this huge one-time demographic dividend mm-hmm. 
partially because you, you had a sort of baby boom generation like you had you know, in, in many parts of the West after the Second World War, but also because they had uh, a one-child policy imposed in the late 1970s, and which persisted until recent, work, that increase in working age population came with a, a reduction in the number of dependents. So there were more and more people working, being productive and earning, and fewer fewer people that they had to feed mm-hmm. and rely on. So that created a, a huge amount of savings in the system, which the government was then able to channel into developing its infrastructure that's really powered the, the, the growth of the Chinese economy. This is, I'm sorry that this is turning into a, like, what's the difference between the US and China? But, uh, you know, it's hard to pass up that opportunity when you get a chance to talk to somebody who's living there or in, the, in Hong Kong. No, not at all. I mean, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's an interesting topic. And really, uh, I mean, what, what, what I found, you know, dealing at, at the intersection of China and the, the inter- international capital markets was that there was a huge amount of lack of knowledge and misunderstanding on, on both sides. I mean, I'll, yeah, because all we see is just, you know, someone tweets about, China, uh, you know, human rights, and then next thing you know that they're getting shut down, China's bristling and angry, and they're pulling movies. And Yeah, the, the, there's a bit of that. But I, actually, the, the, the portrayal I find in, in a, lot of the, uh, a lot of the media that I read in the West is, is fairly imbalanced. It's almost like a, people are sort of programmed to think, you know, well, communism's bad. I watched some 1980s movie, and then you know, China must be <laughs> China must be bad, and they must be repressing their people. Actually, the the, the reality is is quite different. I mean, the the vast majority of people in China, and I I studied as an undergraduate in Beijing in in the mm-hmm. 1990s, so I've I've had a real close up view of, of the changes. But for the vast majority of people, actually, that they've, they've done really well over the past 40 years. And, and you know, they're, they're richer, they're happier, they, they can feed themselves for a start. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so the, the, the portrayal that you get sometimes outside of China about, you know, a long suffering people, you know, re- repressed by its government is, is, is a bit inaccurate. Okay. Well, let's uh, let's go ahead and move on from that then, and let's talk about some of the stuff that the book does cover. As far as like, what are you seeing as like the major source of the tensions between the two countries, and then how are you proposing that 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 can be uh, um, negotiated? The the fundamental point here is that rising inequalities in both countries are mm-hmm. driving greater social tensions, and those social tensions are, are building up. And rather than addressing the sources of social tensions, what, what you've seen in both countries is that your know, leaderships have tended to de- deflect the problems and blame outside forces for, for those. You know, whether it's you know, in, in China, Ch- Trump saying that uh, China's raping our people and stealing our jobs, or, or you know, the, the, some of the things that some of the things that are said. He did say that, didn't he? <laughs> yeah, he, he actually did. <laughs> and uh, you know, and and equally, equally, some of the things that are said in China, particularly, you, you've seen this wolf warrior diplomacy that that's been you know, quite quite um, vocal in attacking 
uh, America. Uh, I, I think a lot of that's been been fairly unconstructive because it is neither addressed that the fundamental problems that are leading to these social tensions, and you know, it, it's escalating tensions between the two countries that make it more and more difficult to de-escalate you know, when you run into problems. So then what what is the answer then? Like how do you how do you tackle that kind of inequality? That's that's something that's 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 systemic almost the systems that basically the societies are founded upon. It's it's systemic insofar as the financial system and the structure of it have created those outcomes. There are many aspects to this, but one of the, the biggest lines of attack that I, I take in, in the book are really that, that the dollar-centric global monetary system that was put in place at the end of the Second World War, mm-hmm. quite frankly, was a bad idea from the start and it has been at, at the root of many problems around the world, not, not just between the US and China. And when, when, you look at, when you look at the dollar problem, I think you know, there's, a, there's a lot of a sense, you know, both inside America and outside America, that actually this has been a huge uh, privilege for, for America. In fact, there's a French finance minister which coined the term exorbitant privilege. But, but actually, the reality is that for most people in America today, that the dollar serving this global utility role for, for the rest of the world is not actually such a good thing because it's actually one of the major drivers of a lot of the imbalances and a lot of the inequalities that, that you're seeing. And, and you know, maybe if I can, maybe if I can kind of explain a little bit about how that works. Yes, please. You, you've got to look at it from multiple perspectives. So the, the fact that the dollar serves as this global utility, every currency effectively references the dollar and its exchange rate, and it's the most widely held reserve asset, and it's the most widely used currency in trade. This has created a demand for dollars outside the system and in order to in order to support the growth in trade and investment around the rest of the world the US has basically had to continuously export dollars mm-hmm. to so that you, you don't have a liquidity crunch in, in the rest of the world which has basically meant that the US has had to run continuous balance of payments deficits which is fine as long as the U.S. economy is is growing at at least a fa- as fast a pace as the rest of the world. But you know the U.S. is a large, mature economy, and you know that that's that's clearly not happening now. Right. And so the, the dollar serving in this role has basically meant that the U.S. has had to go into ever higher levels of debt to be able to supply this liquidity to the rest of the world. Then then. Yeah, if you take a look at it from the perspective of other countries, mm-hmm. there's a sense in, in the US, and, and to some extent it's true, but it's not entirely fair that you know, a lot of these kind of emerging markets are, are pegging to the dollar, they're artificially holding their currencies down to steal US jobs. Well, the, the reality, if, if you look at it from their perspective, is that it, because most less developed countries, governments, and corporates 
have to borrow in the, there's your dog yeah. have to <laughs> because because most of the most of the rest of the world's uh, governments or, or less developed countries governments and, and corporates have to borrow in US dollars mm-hmm. when you have periodic bouts of dollar volatility where their currencies fall sharply against the dollar then it becomes more difficult to repay these debts. You have bankruptcies, you have corporate insolvencies, you, you have job losses, and a huge amount of economic misery wrought. And, and this, these sorts of emerging markets crises really you know, persisted throughout the 1980s and, and 1990s. And it, it came to a point after the Asian financial crisis in the late 90s that emerging market governments started getting a little bit smarter about it, which was that they started building up reserves of dollars in order to ensure themselves against those periodic bouts of currency volatility. Hmm. So what, what, that, what that meant, you know, when you look at it from the perspective of the US then, is that the dollar, which was already structurally overvalued, became even more structurally overvalued. So as the, these emerging markets were, were growing economically and increasing their level of productivity, the, the US currency, which should have been the, 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 the pressure release valve, wasn't able to adjust to hmm. the higher level of productivity growth elsewhere as compared with the US. And US manufacturing exports became less and less competitive. Now, how this fell on you in US society really depends where you sit. So if you were a wealthy shareholder of a a large US corporate that was able to take advantage of this and move production out to lower cost centers, then you, know, you did really well because the companies drove their costs down, they increased their profit margins, and your, your share price went up. But if you were a U.S. manufacturing worker, it, uh, it really wasn't so great for you because <laughs> right. what, what, what you saw was essentially job losses, displacement, or at best, wage stagnation. And what, what I argue here in the book is that if you look at it from the perspective of the majority of people in the US today, that the dollar system really isn't working for them. Mm-hmm. Man, uh, feels like. Yeah, just <laughs> go, go into class in economics school. <laughs> like, I didn't know this. I, I know. It's like, I'm trying to. <laughs> Sorry, I, I, didn't, I didn't mean to be boring. I didn't mean to be boring. No, it's not boring. You're blowing our mind. <laughs> no, no, it's fascinating. I'm, like, I'm just having a hard time even thinking of follow up questions. I'm trying to process everything you're saying. Like, God, I never even thought of any of this stuff. Yeah, I'm just like, and then what happened? Right. <laughs> well, and then, and then, well, I, to, to, to maybe, maybe answer that and take it a step further. Look, I mean, the, the do- dollar system is clearly a big part of it, but you know, the, the dollar is not the, the, only, the, the only problem uh, in, in the structure of the, the global financial system. I and mean, as, as trade and investment has globalized, you know, all countries have wanted to attract investment to them, mm-hmm. and you know, it, it's it's a fact of life that capital is more mobile than labor. So, when you increase 
taxes on, on people. You know, people can move their money very quickly. It's not necessarily so quick to you know, get up and sell your house and, and move to a different country. Right. And so what has happened is that countries started to compete with each other on the basis of low taxes, which has made it more and more difficult for governments to raise the revenue that they needed from, frankly, the, the people who have the income to, to support that. And so what, what you've seen around the world, you know, as this global fiscal competition has taken place, is that you, you've had you know, ever more illogical tax systems, at least from, from a perspective of social equity, mm-hmm. which is that you know, wealthy people have actually in many places paid far lower rates of taxation than your average middle, middle class workers because the, the, the taxes on you know, their sources of income, which have tended to be more capital-based. Typically capital gains, yep. Exactly, have been, have been much lower than you know, the, the income taxes that you pay on your salary. Yeah, and the, that was, that's something that I think was talked about in the latest election, wanting to try to do some kind of tax on assets, and I, I just don't know how that's going to work. The, the problem is really one that is very difficult for any country to solve on its own, because mm-hmm. if you start taxing assets, what will happen is that you know, your, your, your rich people will start getting up and, and moving to different places. So, yeah, actually, uh, well, one of the things that you know, has, I think, been a positive development you know, with, with the new administration was that you know, Jan- Janet Yellen pushed to create this global minimum corporate tax rate, mm-hmm. and, you know, the, which, was, which was approved and, and supported by the G7. Now, yeah, that, that's, it is a baby, it is a baby step. And you know, the, frankly, the, the the agreement that that was created needs a lot more teeth to it. But until and unless you can get countries to stop competing with each other on the basis of ever lower taxes, mm-hmm. you, you're not you're you're not going to be able to start raising taxes on, on the rich and creating more progressive tax systems or fairer tax systems. Sounds like there's a, a a lot of different things that need to happen for for things to get better. It's almost kind of depressing to hear all these things kind of laid out and like what needs to happen, and just thinking like, God, I don't like. Is well, there anybody working towards this? Um, well, I think that there there are steps that there are baby steps being taken, like like the G seven yeah. agreement on, on global minimum corporate tax, but the the what I found was that actually the, the problem isn't really particularly well understood. Most people in financial markets aren't, don't really have a good grasp of a lot of this stuff. And you know, even top policymakers who, who are making financial policies that don't, they, 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 get the, they get the problems, but they don't have a granular enough understanding of the structure of the financial system to, to mm-hmm. be able to design the sort of policies that, that might be able to effectively tackle these problems. <sighs> I got to take a breath and process all this. So, I mean, that, 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 was, a big, that, that was a big motivator for me uh, for writing the book, which was that I, I saw a lot of these problems. I've been in a, in a 
I'd had a rare opportunity to work at the intersection of, of financial markets and policy, and you know, particularly between uh, the US and, and China and uh, other international markets. And I, I felt I was in a, in a I felt I was in a fairly rare position to be able to identify the problems and also be able to explain them and articulate them in in a granular enough way for for people to understand. Uh, so, what do you do now? It says that you used to work at the uh, the Hong Kong Exchange. All right. Are so you a I, professor? No, 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 not really good no, one. No, 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 not at all. No, uh, I, 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 I barely managed to get my, uh, my, my undergraduate degree. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so too, 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 much, uh, too, too much time spent in the college bar. But, um, right. <laughs> but um, no, the, the, I, I left the, the exchange in, in, in July, but... Actually, my, my background was that you know after I graduated, I, I uh, went to work in in an investment bank in London, mm -hmm. and then you know, I, I had a career in investment banking covering the, the financial services sector, and by, by almost by accident, I ended up working at, at Hong Kong exchanges and clearing at a time when China was accelerating the internationalization. Of its capital markets now, frankly, you know, exchanges clearing settlement is is probably about the unsexiest area of, of financial <laughs> services that, that you can imagine. I mean, if you've if you've if you've ever sat in a room with someone for a couple of hours, having them talk to you about clearing and settlements, it's pretty difficult to stay awake. But um, <laughs> but but what 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 I found was that uh, I started getting you know, invited to. Breakfast with finance ministers, getting invited to uh, to, to consulates for for lunch, and uh, it, it sort of occurred to me that some some of this stuff that I was dealing with might might be quite important, and um, and actually it is. It, it's it's critically important, mm -hmm. but it's also one of the areas uh, that that's really. Not very well understood, you know. It, it's you know in the, in the sort of front office in front office financial services, you know, you're you're mostly kind of chasing deals, you know, M and A, IP, M and A deals, IPOs, etc. You, you're not really thinking about the, the plumbing of the system. Mm -hmm. uh, on on the other side, you know, most people who are working on the plumbing system, you know, really the the back and middle office of um, of these infrastructures or, or financial institutions, you know, they're, they're, they're very focused on the operations. They're, they're cogs in the wheel who are very rarely able to take a step back and actually look at you know, the, the macro implications of this. And you know, I, I was running strategy for, for the exchange. And so the, as the exchange was trying to exploit the internationalization of the Chinese capital markets to grow its business, I found myself at this kind of really fascinating intersection of, of your know, financial markets and policy. And you know, you, it, it brings together a lot of different 
disciplines because you're looking, you're not only at macroeconomics, you're looking at financial markets, you're looking at legal systems, you're looking at regulation, technology, and so forth. And, you know, it's, it, they're really, what I found was that that I can probably count on my, my hands and feet, you know, that the number of people around the world who actually have you know, the, the holistic macro top-down and then granular bottom-up understanding of the system. Hmm. And you know, actually, e- even fewer of those are actually working in you know, financial services themselves. Do you have any names that we can talk to? There are a few, but I mean, it's 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 quite a it's quite a wild uh, array of people because you know you've got you've got people who are there are people who are macro focused who who are sitting in in the infrastructures that control the plumbing, but the 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 types of people also who you kind of come across the various people who are uh, I guess in, in the sort of Murkier parts of the uh, <laughs> murkier parts of the sort of political e- economic system, and you know it, it's it's fascinating. You said you just left in July. That was of twenty one. Yeah, that's right. So were you there when the whole fiasco with Lucan happened? Lucan, the the coffee maker that uh, oh, uh, Luckin, 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 Luckin. Okay. Uh, yeah, I, I was. I mean, the the the. I mean, the the. Yeah, it's 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 like uh, it's like you know you you have things like Enron in in the U.S. I mean, right. there's 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 always been a sort of steady stream of uh, co- corporate scandals and and frauds and so forth. But that led to because I think there was like there's the threat of delisting a lot of Chinese companies from the U.S. markets now at this point unless they conform to uh, the U.S. reporting standards. Uh, I thought that that kind of all stemmed from the the luck and or collapse. It was it was one of uh, it, it, the disclosure question has, has been an ongoing issue, uh, and mm-hmm. that that was one, one of the that, that was one of the catalysts. But um, you know the, the the SEC has been pushing for you know d- better disclosure of of audit papers and other things from Chinese companies. And you know, like, I, I guess my question is, would that have actually prevented anything? <laughs> Or would they have been just lied there too? Well, look, I mean, the 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 reality is that you know, you have corporate scandals all over the world. Oh, everywhere. Yeah, I'm not saying that China's more susceptible. Better disclosure definitely helps, but mm-hmm. but I don't think it's it's a silver bullet that's going to prevent you know, corporate frauds and and other misdeeds happening ever again. We just had a trial wrap up with Theranos. That uh, <laughs> yes, I, 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 I was following that a little bit. Yes, definitely not. Uh, every country has their own. So, what were some of the big things that uh, China did that that you would classify as being part of the Cold War? Well, I think you know the the financial Cold War. Um, you know, it, it's really the, the policies that have been put in place in in China. That have contributed to the, the wealth and income inequality that, that's developed there, and 
actually some of those some of those policies were were deliberately pursued and actually for for good reason because you know, as I said earlier on when China kind of started opening up in the late seventies and early eighties it just come out of the cultural revolution and, and the country was dirt poor mm-hmm. it was technologically backwards and you know that they, they had to that they, they had to import a lot of technology they had to modernize the economy and, and they needed to create incentives to do that so they they you know as Deng Xiaoping advised uh, the Chinese people you know it wanted you know some people to go ahead and, and get rich and so you know, the, the tax system in, in China was you know set up to give incentives for entrepreneurs to go and set up businesses and, and mm-hmm. so forth but uh, I'd say that you know what one of the biggest drivers of you know, China's development to the level that it's reached today has been the, the harnessing of, of Chinese people's savings. So you know, the, the the banking system in China is largely state-owned, and so that that's given a huge amount of power to the government to mm-hmm. decide you know, how capital was allocated, and and even you know how capital was priced in the system and, and using that power it was able to go ahead and develop a lot of the roads hospitals railways and other infrastructure that the country needed to 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 develop but you know that that you know over a period of time led to this economic model that was very dependent on top down decision making and very dependent particularly on investment and you know as you pointed out earlier given the the demographic cliff that the country faces with, with its rapidly aging population you know, that model if it's persisted with will lead to more and more misallocation of capital into more industrial capacity more you know, homes and and apartment buildings that you you aren't Necessarily going to need for, for people to live in because the population is shrinking, and you know as that as that capital is misallocated, then you're, you're going to see a drag on China's growth and you know, the, the level of prosperity that it, it's reached now may start to taper off. Isn't uh, that sounds familiar? Is that uh, kind of what Jack Ma got in trouble for when he was criticizing the uh, the banking systems of China, or was that about something else? Well, I mean, what 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 he what what he said, you know, he he was he, he criticized. I can't remember the exact words that he used, but you know, he, he was criticizing the, the system, you know, for for starving you know, small and medium sized enterprises. Uh, from capital now mm-hmm. you know, that that's that's something which is you know, not just a problem in China but actually right. it, it it's it is a problem you know, based on the incentive structures for, for banks all, all around the world okay so that was something a little different then but well he he was he 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 was he, he made the criticism you know, set against the backdrop you know, because they, they were at the time um, trying to to float uh, ant yeah, that was when they're trying to get. Yep, yep. and and, and you know, they, they 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 were at the sort of backstages of the, the IPO, and then uh, the, the regulators pulled the IPO at, at the eleventh hour. Yeah, that uh, <laughs> yeah, Alibaba's stock has not done too well since then. 
Well, I think that there's, I mean, there's a lot of the, the, the you know, reams of, of newspaper commentary you know, that, that you know, insinuate or, or explicitly say that you know, this is you know, the, the Chinese government got upset with Jack Ma's comments and so they're cracking down on him. And, you know, that, that that's may- kind of what it felt like. But I remember reading his comments and I didn't think they were that bad. I thought he was just pointing out a system. It, it seemed more constructive, I thought, when I read it. Well, I, I the the way that the, the way that I look at this, and you know, I, I may or may not be correct, but you know, the 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 issue, if you leave aside the the your possible kind of power play between you know, the the Chinese government and its its wealthy entrepreneurs, mm-hmm. it really came down to a couple of regulatory issues, which was that you know, th- this business had kind of grown from nowhere and become gigantic and you know it was was much more lightly regulated than you know traditional banks mm-hmm. and so when, when it was going out and extending loans and not having to maintain the, the same level of of capital backing as, as a bank would you know clearly it's going to be more competitive th- than a bank but you know what what happens what what happens when you start to See financial losses. So, so there was there was a, a regulatory issue uh, to do with that, and you know, because it was coming at the same time as as the IPO, there are a huge number of retail investors I- into the IPO, and as long as this issue over the, the regulation and particularly that the capital levels that and, and might have to hold, that there was a huge uncertainty for. Investors who were going into that because if they invest in the IPO and then suddenly the, the government or, or the central bank imposed higher capital requirements on it, you, you could have seen that stock price plummet. So there was an investor, mm-hmm. there was an investor protection issue as well. So I think you know, those aspects, uh, I think, unfortunately, were, were less focused on in a lot of the media commentary that I saw, you know, in favor of the more sensationalist, uh, you know, that this is, this is a, you know, Jack Ma's out of favor with, with the party type of commentary. It didn't help that he disappeared for a month too. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, you know, if, 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 uh, if, if, you know, I, I'd had a sort of multi-billion IPO pulled, um, you know, at the, at the last minute, you know, I might, I might, might not want to be too sociable for, for a little while after as well. Uh, I don't know. You still have billions. I mean, it's not like you you lost everything. Yeah, fair, fair enough. Or he didn't. No, he didn't. And you could still go have your caviar and, and smoked Eskimos or whatever the rich people smoked eat. Smoked Eskimos. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I'm not rich. <laughs> Yeah, you, you, is that uh, not a delicacy? I, 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 I don't know. It doesn't send. Uh, it doesn't send that advertising to me. But uh, <laughs> you may, maybe if I were rich, right? <laughs> uh, so what's next for you then? Uh, you, this book looks like it's fairly recent. I mean, I did see references to COVID. I thought maybe it was a little older. Uh, it looks like it probably took a lot of time to put together. Hey, it took. Uh, it, it took a bit of time to to. Come together. It's actually just it's just come out uh, this month. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm busy at the moment. I was slightly naive, frankly, uh, writing the book because I, I figured that you know you you'd write a book and you, you'd 
hand it to the publisher and then you know they, they would deal with and everything you and, and you, you'd be <laughs> no, done no, I, no, no, no. <laughs> I hadn't realized that uh you know that then there was all the kind of well you, you might have to go and sort of publicize and, and talk about your book uh to, to get people to buy it so i i'm i'm spending a lot of time on, on that at the moment but uh once i'm through that i'll uh i'll look at uh what's next probably uh try and get back into some sort of gainful employment again do you have any other projects that you're working on in the the meantime or is the, this has basically got all your focus no no i i i've also i i've I do a couple of non-executive things uh one of which is with with a um with, with a digital asset custodian uh called hex trust here in hong mm. kong so there's there's what is that uh well, it it literally uh, it it provides kind of safekeeping and and you know other collateral services for digital assets so you know cryptocurrencies mm. uh stable coins nfts and so forth didn't China just kick out like all Bitcoin mining and other cryptos? Or China, China, ha- China has, but I mean Hong, Hong Kong run, runs a runs a separate. Oh, I keep forgetting that they kind of have their own separate. Yeah, yeah. it's 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 a separate uh, legal and regulatory system. Danny, have any other questions about the book or uh, anything else for? So nobody got killed, even though it was a war. <laughs> uh well it's not not, not not yet but uh, serious 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 point though and and i think you know one, one of the one of the things that i i thought it was a really important topic but for someone to write about but you know the the typically with with these sorts of books you know you, you have you know people who write about you know government policy or you have people write about financial markets and and typically a lot of that that's fairly dry um and, and it's targeted really at a at a specialist audience just given you know how much financial markets affect each and every one of our lives i wanted to write something that actually was you know readable digestible and and hopefully enjoyable for you know the the intelligent layman and mm-hmm. so you know a lot of uh, a lot of the book actually covers the, the history of how the, the chinese and american financial systems came about and you know and amongst that there, there are a lot of quite interesting stories and, and colorful characters um and you know I, i'm hoping that uh, i'm hoping that you know, that this arms people with, with the information that allows them to be more informed in the debates on these issues, but also to to help them better hold their, their political leaders to account to to deal with some of these issues. Uh, that was one of the things that really struck me when I was looking through um, was the uh, how much attention was paid to the the research and the the background information of the two countries. So I think you did a fantastic job with that personally. Thank you. Uh, I, I can't, I can't claim, claim all the credit, you know, because I was, uh, <laughs> I, was I was ready <laughs> because we, we, we were in, uh, we were in, uh, we were in COVID lockdown and, um, yeah, we, we've got, uh, we, we've got young kids. So, um, my, my wife thought that I might be sort of going nuts. So she, she sort of set, sent me off to, to, create a project for myself and so i, I started, 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 started writing this book and you know as as i was writing as i was writing it i was showing her 
you know, each section as I, as I wrote it. And um, you know, she, she gave me very valuable feedback in the form of, you know, well, okay, I, I get the arguments, but, uh, you know, this is really boring to read. You've got to sort of, you know, you've got to put in some stories and history or anecdotes to, to kind of really liven this up. And um, you know, so the, the, credit for, uh, the, the credit for a lot of that actually goes to, to her. But hopefully, it's a, it's a book that's um, you know entertaining as well as being uh, informative and thought provoking. I like it because I mean, you've got stuff about the Cuban Missile Crisis on the one hand. You've got, I mean, there's just stuff about everything in here. Yeah. Well, I, I um, well, if, if you if you get a chance to uh, to read it more closely, I'd uh, I'd love to to have uh, your, your full feedback at some point. But uh, I, I I hope that. Uh, People find it useful and and an enjoyable read. I can't imagine my feedback would be useful to you. <laughs> I think we're on two completely different levels of understandings of the markets. <laughs> well, that just that's what makes me want to read it all the more. I do appreciate, yes, uh, yeah, hopefully bridge that gap a little bit. Yeah. Well, thank you for coming on and being a, a, a part of the China Shop today, James. This has been fantastic. Uh, I I really am going to get on that book. I I just have a long list of stuff to be reading, but uh, I am really interested in this subject and you do a great job of, of setting it up and explaining it. So I just really wanted to sincerely thank you for coming, coming by and chatting with us today. Thank, thank you both very much. Uh, where, can the, uh, where can people find your book? So it, it'll be available from all major booksellers, Amazon. If, if you want to get links to uh, booksellers, you, you can go to my website, which is James A. Fock. Dot com. That's J-A-M-E-S-A-F-O-K dot com. No spaces or dots? No spaces or dots. Okay. We'll, put the, we'll make sure we link all that stuff too in the episode description. Thank you very much. All right, is there anything else you want to promote? Any socials or are you on Twitter yet? <laughs> I, I, I'm, 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 not a, I'm not a huge social media user. Uh, yeah. Okay. Gotta okay. Though. You got to do it if you want to promote it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I, I went. I went on. I went on LinkedIn. So I'm on that. LinkedIn's a good one. Okay. Yeah. That's that's probably that's probably good enough for you. <laughs> there. You, there you go. Prospective employers find James on LinkedIn. <laughs> <laughs> Yep, fingers Make crossed. Yeah, just friends. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Kyle, any any parting words before we we head out of here? Uh, I had one other thought, but um, I, it was from a book I read about a decade ago, so I'm not even sure if it's pertinent anymore, and I don't want to sound like an idiot, so I'm just going to skip that one. Okay. Well, <laughs> <laughs> that's staying in the episode. I'm not editing that out. That's fine. <laughs> All right, folks, thanks for joining us. Uh, We'll be back at you soon with another episode. Uh, And until next time, happy trades. We'll see you later, Kyle. And thanks for joining us once more, James Fock. Bye. Thank you. Bye. Two Bulls in a China Shop is an entertainment program, and all thoughts and opinions expressed in the show belong to the hosts and not of any company. They are not intended to provide specific advice or recommendations for any individual or on any specific security or investment product. It is only intended to provide entertainment about stocks in the financial industry of trading. If you make trades based on what you hear in this show, you assume all risks for those trades.